All right, all right. Hey guys, welcome back to the 40 Ounce Fridays podcast. This is episode 41, and I'm gonna do uh, things a little different here. I'm gonna try to hurry up and jump into it because uh, I'm gonna be doing kind of like a full review and my thoughts on the Final Fantasy VII remake because I had recently finished it on as of this recording Tuesday. So it'll it'll still be in the same week. This I'm recording this on the 16th. It's going up tomorrow on the 17th so I finished it a couple days back and I just wanted to get my overall thoughts on the review because there were differences and changes like they said there was going to be but um something happens uh some things happen in chapter 17 too but it's mainly what happens in the second half of the ending the last like piece of the game the second half of the last chapter of the game um, a lot of crazy shit happens. It's some shit that did not happen in the original. And while by the end of the game, uh, they still end up, you know, leaving Midgar, just like in the original game, and going about their adventure to continue on. And that's where the game ends. The steps taken to get there, there's a lot of st- different stuff that went on. So I wanted to, you know, give a full review. And as we go th- down through the review, we'll get to the story parts and get to that part. So if you haven't finished the game, if you haven't played it, you don't want to be spoiled. I will let you know when we get to the point in the review where I'm going to start spoiling stuff. It won't be right at the start. I'm going to go over certain aspects of the game, the history of Final Fantasy and all that good stuff. Then we'll get into the story and the ending and what it could mean. So don't worry about that too much. But other than that, I'll let you know, and also in the description of the podcast, there should be, like, time markers for each section I go over and review. But um, before that, real quick, I just wanted to make a few announcements. Like, this week, since I I didn't expect um, to be doing a review this long, so we won't be doing the UU Retrospective again this week, but we will be doing another double one next week, which will be cool because we'll start off the Beast of Maze Castle, like the Force Saint Beast stuff. Next week with two episodes. Then uh, for episode 43, I plan to do kind of like a Bleach arc tier list thing since I went over all the current air- current arcs in the anime. While we wait for the Blood War arc to come out next year. And then episode 44, I'll finally be giving my thoughts on Keep Your Hands Off Izokin because I've been trying to get that done forever. <laughs> and I just haven't gotten the chance. But also, let me go over my notes right here. There's a... Uh, I have a few things planned for games I want to play and review over the course of the rest of the year. So this is kind of like a tentative schedule. So like things might get changed around. I might do games in different orders depending on when I have the money or the opportunity to purchase them and play them. You know, shit happens. So we'll see what happens when we when we get to it. But um, for future episodes, things I have planned. Uh, one thing that's for sure happening are the, all the Fire Emblem ones because I own Fire Emblem. So I just have to play it. But here, here's the plan for game reviews and analysis and thoughts for all that stuff going over for the rest of the year. Uh, Fire Emblem, Three Houses, Blue Lines, Path. Then I plan to play Persona 5 Royale. Then Fire Emblem, Three Houses, Black Eagle, Path for Crimson Flower. Uh, Pokemon, Shield, Island of Armor. Then back to Fire Emblem, Three Houses for the Black Eagles with the... Silver Snow Route for the Church of Seros kind of stuff. Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. I really want to play that. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I'll go over, 
you can give the DLC for Cinder Shadows at the Ash Ashen Wolves house uh, a little review and analysis. Uh, then I want to play Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And after that, I'm going to do Fire Emblem Three Houses, like a final kind of true playthrough of like whatever route I found to be my favorite. And then just try to collect as many students to be on my team as possible through that final playthrough. Uh, then Cyberpunk 2077. Then I'm going to do a uh, overall roundup and kind of review analysis kind of thing maybe similar to what i'm going to do with the remake here for uh three houses overall and then we'll be done with three houses at that point because i've done everything i can do with it uh valkyrie chronicles remastered because i still not had i still have not played valkyrie chronicles one i only played four uh so i have it downloaded already it was like ten dollars on the switch uh storm when i bought it i just haven't gotten a chance to sit down and play it so i'm gonna do that later in the year then i want to play nino kuni wrath of the white witch because you know they got that switch version one of my friends swears by it it's a fantastic game so then we're gonna go hand in hand and then play nino kuni 2 revenant kingdom right after that then at that point it should be near the end of the year and we will play pokemon shield the crown tundra because by that point that second um that second expansion should be out by then i also want to try and go ahead and do uh more proper reviews and game thoughts on games i've previously talked about like dragon quest 11 valkyria chronicles 4 tales of asphyria definitive edition and even jump force because we uh, re it recently got announced today earlier today when i got up that uh jump force is getting a port on switch and they are getting a season two pass I still do not like Jump Force, but I want to give, like, a proper review and my thoughts of Jump Force to give a clearer kind of a overview of why I don't think it's worth the full price. And I do not think it's worth paying full price for a Switch port, even if it is the Deluxe Edition. Uh, I, I guess the, the Switch version is going to come with all the Season 1 Pass characters. I still don't think it's worth the full price. But um, I'm going to talk about that later. And I feel like I wanted to do this mainly because uh, they had episodes and we talked about them before. But it was more so the fact that I feel like I didn't have time to get all my thoughts out on those episodes. Just because I did all my other like news, like my quick news and my recommends and thoughts and all those other stuff. So by the time we got to that main topic, I didn't have enough time to talk about it. So I think I'll do reviews similar to what I'm going to do it ff7 remake and make sure to time it right in order to get all my thoughts out and just do full episode analysis of it but that's pretty much it for all those updates so those are the plans but next week we will be doing uh another wu retrospective kind of thing for uh the four saint beast arc uh bleach my favorite arcs from least favorite to favorite so far in the anime I won't be counting the Blood War arc just yet, and I don't believe I'll be counting the movies unless I get a chance to watch all the movies um, before I record that. We'll see if I can. And then episode 44, keep your hands off Izoken. From there, I don't really have episodes super planned, but ideally that's what I want to do now that I have more time because I spent the last six days <laughs> playing the remake, and I, I want to go ahead and talk about it. So yeah, we're going to jump into that review. 
On January 31st, 1997, Final Fantasy VII will release and change the way JRPG players see the genre as well as leave an impact on the gaming industry as a whole that has lasted longer than the Knights of the Round Summoning Animation and Sephiroth's Supernova combined. I don't know if you've played the original and seen that shit, um, but you can go make a sandwich and come back and that Supernova still hasn't hit Earth, just kill me already, please. God, just do it. Uh, <laughs> those old Final Fantasy VII jokes aside, the game really has stood the test of time for 23 years with merchandise, music, uh, references and parodies and various shows and internet series like uh, Team Four Stars, Final Fantasy VII Machina Abridged. And it's also experienced kind of a expanded universe or a compilation of things of sorts with uh, games like Crisis Core, the mobile game before Crisis, uh, a sort of sequel starring Vincent Valentine called Dirge of Cerberus, and the sequel film everyone knows about, uh, Advent Children. So, the game has really been around this entire time and hasn't left besides, you know, just the original release. And even then, the original release hasn't really left. You can play this game practically on anything now. It's available on PC, PS4, Xbox One, the Nintendo Switch, which is where I own the original game currently, uh, and even iOS and Android, so if you wanted to play the original game before and never thought you'd get the chance, you have plenty of options, so there's kind of no excuse. It's also really cheap. I think on all those platforms, it's like 15 bucks, maybe even less than that, so I, I definitely say give it a shot. But uh, even though North America never got an official release until September 7th of that same year as the official release in Japan, I personally never played the game until around some point between 2004-2005. Uh, I would have been three <laughs> when when uh, Final Fantasy VII came out, so it's not like I would have understood what the fuck was going on anyway. So, you know, it was around when I was in 4th or 5th grade I actually played it. I remember getting it with an old PlayStation from my aunt. She kind of just gave it to me as a little hand-me-down birthday gift. I thought it was super cool, though, just because I had seen her play it before a couple of times when I was younger, and I was always, like, super into, like, just just games in general. I'm a little kid. I'm a young, young, young little boy. I like video games, but, uh, I don't know. Something about the case, too, like, looking at, like, the box art, especially on the back and seeing all these crazy things i was like whoa what the hell is that like this big green demon thing and this and that and that but that but this i was super interested and um i wanted to see that stuff but i never really got to at first just because the playstation my aunt had didn't have a memory card so <laughs> every time when i'd watch her play it it'd usually be her playing the same parts again so then when i got it i didn't have a memory card so I remember one day I like hooked it up and set it up and I was like, I'm going to play this. And I played it for a good few hours. It was like a weekend or like a summer vacation or something like that. I didn't have school. So I was at home all day and I was playing that. And I remember getting all the way to, and this is why this particular boss fight sticks with, sticks with me so much. I remember getting all the way to Rufus, Rufus Shinra on, um, the portion of the game where you're on the roof and you follow the trail of blood and you find President Shinra dead and then you go out and 
out comes Rufus Shinron. He's like, I'm the president's son, and now I'm the new president because, you know, his dad's dead. And you kind of make that stand, and then Cloud fights him one-on-one. -on -one. Well, not one-on-one. -on -one. Rufus has a pet guard dog with him, and he's rocking a shotgun. And due to my drastic lack in knowledge for how RPGs worked, I hadn't played them a lot at that time. At that point in time. I just played whatever game I could get. I didn't really have a preference towards the genre. I got fucking wrecked. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to optimize or set up my items. I wasn't really getting how the ATB system worked. And I know it's simple, it's just like, I personally didn't get it because I never took the time to sit there and get it. But I was getting like, understanding little bits and pieces of the story because I was interested in what was happening. But I remember dying against Rufus, seeing the game over screen and thinking, oh well, as long as I don't turn the game off, it'll just leave me off where I was, because I had played plenty of games like that, that where I didn't have a memory card, but like mainly, you know, like fighting games and racing games like Mario Kart, where uh, as long as you didn't turn the game off, everything you unlocked and all the progress you made would remain. I hadn't really played an RPG, so I didn't understand that, no, you need to save. <laughs> so when I got back to the main menu and it only said new game, I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> I, I didn't get, you know, the effort, and thinking back to it, it's, it, it was pretty dumb, but it never really stopped me from, like, turning it on just to hear the opening music, and, like I said, looking at the artwork, and even putting in, like, disc 2 and disc 3, just to see, like, the little pictures, like, the, the artwork, promotional artwork that came up for the game, if you hadn't finished disc 1 yet, and you put in disc 2 or disc 3, it would tell you to please insert disc 1, but it would show, like, a cool little like promotional artwork like a lot of the stuff they uh went and redid for their promotion of the remake stuff like that and you know seeing like that like i said seeing that giant green demon on the box wanting to know who sephiroth was exactly and what was genova what were the cetera because i wasn't able to play past that point because i died against rufus and i didn't have a memory card so it was kind of something that i just put on the back burner because i didn't feel like playing four hours again on any other day just to get there and fail because <laughs> I couldn't save. So um, I wouldn't get that answer until around near the end of sixth grade. I was, you know, I finished up playing Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, which is probably the reason I like tactics games so much. And I remember a friend of mine was trying to sell a PlayStation memory card. I don't know why he was. Middle, middle school kids are weird as fuck. But um, when I heard about that, it kind of clicked in my head. I was like, dude, I have a PlayStation with Final Fantasy VII. And it's not like, oh, why didn't you just buy a memory card, Kyle? Well, I, I, I have any fucking money. And <laughs> it's not like we have money to just be like, here, Kyle, just buy whatever you want. We weren't like poor or anything, but uh, video games are luxury. So they still are. I just have a job now. But um. I just remember like, oh fuck, I have a PlayStation, Final Fantasy, I can actually play past that point. So I was like, fuck, I don't have any money. Uh, and I gave him Tactics Advance because even though I really liked that game and it was, I played it all the time on my Game Boy, uh, my Game Boy Advance, I had already finished it. I had like done everything possible in that game. So I was willing to kind of part with it so I could have a new little adventure. And it was near the end of the year, so it was almost summertime. So, boom, now I had a game to play in the summertime, 
And I remember, you know, putting it back in, putting the memory card in, being able to save my game and playing all the way back to where I was before. And this time beating Rufus because I better understood how RPGs worked through playing like a few other RPGs here and there and tactics, even though it's a different uh, gameplay style. I understood like the terms and the logic and I better understood the AP, uh, ATB system because... I was older and I was actually paying more attention, so I I, I whoop Rufus's snobby little ass and uh, <laughs> I ended up being able to finally leave Midgar for the first time playing that game and dude that oop shit <laughs> that heavily sticks with me to this day just hearing that like music when you leave the city for the first time and seeing the world map and you're just like whoa you just get to walk out here and explore now like that's it. You just get to go. That shit was awesome. Like, you know, it, it, as a kid, that, like, blew my mind. And even at the time of, like, playing that game, it was, like, what, 2006? So, you know, those graphics were already pretty outdated, but I didn't care because it was something I had been waiting to see for so long. I was so hyped to see it. And I don't think I really felt that feeling of, like, exploring a world like that in, a, in any kind of game like this that child like nostalgic kind of like whoa this is fucking awesome until i played dragon quest 11 in 2018 and i i think i've mentioned that before like dragon quest 11 really brought that out of me but um i didn't get to play the game very long from that point uh i didn't even finish this one because at the time my brother was still young he was like a baby and i remember i wasn't in the room at the time or i was asleep or something but he had like came in, either stumbled or fell, and blocked right down on top of the PlayStation. And you know, he's young, he didn't weigh that much, but it was just the fact that he kind of fell on it or, you know, collapsed on it with like a lot of force. It like broke the 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 case over the dish tray. You can I could easily put it back on, like snap it back on, it was just loose. But it also, that force went through and cracked the disc one of Final Fantasy VII. So I couldn't play it anymore. I, if you put in disc two or disc three, it'd just say insert disc one. But it, disc one was cracked and broken. Like a piece of it was chipped off and gone. So I could not play the game anymore. And I was so bummed, especially finding out later. Because before I finished the game, like Air's Death and a lot of other stuff got spoiled for me. Uh... I was, I, later I found out I was almost done with this one, so that shit was a bummer, dude. And I don't think anyone got it at the time, how, like, upset I was over it, because I was super into that game, and it was just something so new for me, and it was the first time I really, like, paid attention to a storyline, and how things were written, and how things went like that, and I, at that point I had already wanted to kind of do writing, but I think it was really at that point where I was like, I want to write, I want to do stuff like this. So, I didn't actually finish Final Fantasy VII, like, officially fully, fully, fully all the way through until around college. It was uh, about, like, you know, 2012, so, like, mid, mid that year when I started my first year at college, and I used some of my aid to get a laptop so I could uh, do stuff on my classes from home and at school and all that good shit. And I got into emulators, like the Game Boy emulator, the DS emulator, Des, Des Moon 
whatever it was called, uh, the PPSSPP for the PSP, and then I finally was like, dude, let me just try to cop a PlayStation 1 emulator, download it, figure out the kinks to get it to work right, and try to play Final Fantasy VII, and I managed to get it to work. The audio would clip sometimes, or like kind of stutter when it was loading up between like battle screens in like world map gameplay after the battle so you'd have to sit there and wait for it but i did not fucking care because i just wanted to play the game again and i was so happy to play it again and i actually got to finish it i actually got to experience all those moments like air's death at the end and then you know uh, cloud carries around the water and lets her sink and then it's like insert disc two I did not play this too that day. I fucking was like, nah, I'm good, fam. <laughs> and I uh, just stopped playing for the day because I was like hurt by that shit. Cloud and Tifa falling into the life stream and Cloud piecing his memory back together of who he actually is and Tifa helping him do that, getting introduced to all the other characters and their backstories. It was awesome. And then, of course, you know, the end, the one on one showdown with Sephiroth at the very end of the game. and seeing like meteor being stopped by holy right at the end and knowing that Aerith was able to succeed and cloud and the gang saved the world so it's something that's like really really fucking cool it, it, it just always sticks with me and when i think of jrpgs like one of the first ones i think of is final fantasy 7 and my experience with the game is you know only one of like countless that so many people have had their own like stories and experiences with playing this game regardless of what year they played it in. I know some people that didn't play Final Fantasy 7 until last year and just absolutely fell in love with it. And it's just a legacy that will always stand the test of time in the gaming world. I feel like it's one of the most iconic and impactful games not only in the RPG genre, just gaming in general. And regardless if you like it, hate it, or love it, you can't deny that the game has this everlasting impact that's always going to be there. Like, you can't you can't not say this game is iconic, you know? Like, that's like me saying One Piece isn't iconic if I didn't like One Piece. I like One Piece. I don't think One Piece is... That. We, we talked about that. I like One Piece. But that's like me saying One Piece sucks. But I can't deny the fact that it's iconic. It's one of the highest selling manga series ever. It's, it's top, it's out there, it's big, it's popular. You can't say it's not impactful. Same thing with Dragon Ball. If you don't like Dragon Ball, you can't deny the fact that it's iconic. So it's something that's just always there. That's why when we finally did get that remake, people were like, holy shit, it's really finally happening. And Square really, you know, just hit the jackpot with that seventh game. And... <laughs> No one really thought that remake was coming, and we always wanted it, especially when they did the PS3 tech demo, and that open, and they did the opening scene to 7, everyone thought it was coming, still isn't coming, and, you know, just when we were kind of, like, overthinking about that, in 2014, or 2015, I'm sorry, in a E3 uh, presentation, we, we saw this trailer, we hear this dude talking about random shit, but then you start seeing stuff that looks real familiar. You're like, that kind of looks like... Mm. And then you see... You, you hear the dude saying, they are coming back. And you see Cloud's Buster Sword. And you see Barrett walk of a side and win his gun arm. And you're like, holy shit, they're really doing it. Holy, or maybe, maybe it's a movie. 
and then it says it. Final Fantasy VII Remake, and everyone's screaming, people are crying. That shit was awesome. So, we were finally getting our remake, but not everyone was going to be cool with exactly how the remake was being handled. So, the remake was a huge fucking deal. Uh, everyone was talking about it, blew up all over the internet, it was trending, it was, it was just something that everyone couldn't believe was actually fucking happening. It was always kind of like, sometimes a joke, and then it was just kind of fade out, and then somebody would bring it up again, and it just kind of fade out, but now we were just like, dude, we cannot say this isn't happening, it's happening. So, every Final Fantasy VII fan, myself included, was like, this is a dream really coming true. And we were all talking about how hype it was going to be to play all our favorite moments over again. Uh, seeing like the battle system redone and just kind of like this beautiful new graphical format. Just thinking about how far technology has gone. And we were talking about it in a way where we already thought and knew it was going to be a one-to-one -one remake. And we were all ready for a remake. But most people, or a lot of people... We're ready for that one-to-one -one remake of the original game. And that's when the first major problem kind of occurred, like the first controversy about the game. It wasn't too long after its announcement that uh, throughout this long wait, uh, this five-year wait for this first part to come out, that we started um, hearing certain things that weren't uh, going over so well with a lot of fans. One of those things being um, that the game is going to be episodic. Uh, meaning it wasn't just going to be one single game remake that you just buy once to play the whole thing again, just like the original. It was going to come out in episodes, or parts. And currently in the modern day, especially at that time, we already knew how kind of like episode, episodic games went, like Telltale games and stuff like that, where they weren't that expensive of games. You could buy the pieces each for pretty cheap, play a part, keep going, play a part, keep going. The thing that worried people about this is... When we heard the the term episodic for the game, we were thinking about stuff towards those lines. Final Fantasy VII, the original game, is still pretty fucking big. So making that episodic meant, oh no, they're gonna try to fucking milk this game. They're going to milk the shit out of this game if they do this. That's what they're trying to do. And it was kind of like, uh-oh. That's a little worrying already. And then on top of that, that there would be changes to the original story. We kind of found out both these things, the episodic thing, and that there would be changes and adjustments and edits to the main original storyline. We found that out pretty quickly, like within the same time of each other. So that one-two punch really hurt the fandom and kind of really hurt the hype of the game and you already had people from the jump from that point way early on in the announcement of this game already kind of worried about what the fuck is going to happen with this so you you have this one half of the fans that are just like yo what the fuck this isn't a one-to-one -one remake you're going to release this game in pieces and pieces and pieces with all this extra DLC and so and this was pure speculation we didn't know if the game was going to have a bunch of extra DLC stuff that comes with it how many episodes the games would be how much the games would cost this dude they always start <laughs> at the least 
least uh, desired times to do this. Like, regardless of what time I record, they're always at. They're, it's like they wait for me to record. But, um, where was I at? Uh, one half of the fans were pretty much like, yo, this is already a failure. We're, we're kind of done. Or not one half, one part. They got another part of the fandom that was very skeptical and worried, but still was just like, we'll wait to hear exactly what's happening. And then you had people like me who were a little more open to change, I want to say. Um, I personally was fine with them doing changes and adjustments and stuff to the storyline, as long as the core plot remained strong, like that skeletal core plot overall of Final Fantasy VII was still there. I didn't mind if they did changes to the story because it's a remake, so I'm like thinking like, okay, maybe they'll reimagine some things and do some other changes. The thing I was worried about was the episodic release because I was worried about all the DLC and all the money kind of things they were going to try to charge us with because like, let's say an episode is maybe like four hours long and they're like, 30 bucks, please. Be like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's what I was panicked for, because I could totally see it happening, especially during that time where people were, like, really bitching about DLC content uh, being just stuff that should already be in the game, especially when it's a game that's already been out for, like, over two decades, and you're going to release it in part. So it was questionable. But the more news we got, the less skeptical I kind of became, and the more open I was to the whole idea of an episodic release. Because uh, at first we found out that, um, okay, the first part is only going to be the Midgar section. So initial reaction to hearing this for most people is like, yo, what the fuck? Are you serious? You, 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 you're bugging, right? You're lying. Midgar? That's it? Because originally in the original Final Fantasy, Midgar is the initial starting point of the game. But it is only like four hours of the game on average it's like four hours you leave midgar and that's when the game really kicks up and starts not to say midgar is boring i'm just saying when you enter the world map your journey is truly beginning midgar is kind of like a prologue point or a starting point for the game so people are like you're going to make one part years from now and it's only going to be midgar but you know we start finding out that each part is planned to be kind of like its own full-length game so thinking about that going hand in hand with the idea that this is a remake with uh, reimagined parts and elements to it, me personally, I kind of became more and more open to the idea because I'm like, okay, well, if they're making each part a full-fledged thing, then I guess they're just going to try to flesh Midgar out and make it this bigger world than what it actually was. And maybe it'll be more or less linear. Midgar is sort of linear. Once you leave to the world map, that's when the game becomes more open-world-like. And so maybe we would have more to do. Maybe there'd be more to see. Maybe parts would be extended for extra context. We didn't know yet. So, you know, things were still a little iffy. And then you still had those really deep-seated, like, people that just hated the idea of the remake because it wasn't a one-to-one -one remake and it was going to be episodic, who were looking for stuff, every announcement, to try to hate. There was false rumors going around that they were going to cut the, the, the cross-dressing scene in Walmart, which was false. They kept that in and even like fucking emphasize it even stronger it was it was kind of dope we'll get to that though um people were getting mad over oh they're gonna change this oh they're gonna change that and like while some of it did get changed a lot of it didn't get changed and the things that did get changed were like very minimal things 
And it sucks, but they were trying to make a big deal out of it to get more people on their cause. And it's one thing to be skeptical and, you know, to criticize something, especially something as beloved as, as this game, but it's another thing to spread false information or make a false narrative. And one of the biggest things was shortly before the game came out, we got confirmation that while Red 13 was of course going to be in this part because he, you encounter him towards the end of the Midgar section of the original game, he would not be playable in part one of the remake. So people were like, what the fuck? I don't want this game anymore. This sucks. You're just cutting characters off the roster. But people didn't take the time to really think that it kind of made sense why at this point Red 13 was not playable. The initial thought for me was, okay, well, the Midgarp section start, and also people were spreading this narrative that Red 13 wasn't going to be playable, period, throughout the whole course of the project. They did not say that. They said during this part, he would not be playable. And the reason why that makes sense to me is, in the original game, you meet Red 13, you have a little boss fight, you guys try to escape, you get arrested, or you get caught, thrown into a prison, da-da-da-da, this happens. Fight on the roof with Rufus, fight on the elevator with Barrett Tifa, or Barrett Aerith in uh, Red versus that giant robot. You escape on the road on the motorcycle thing, you leave Midgar. All that happens within like an hour in the original game. So it made sense for me in the remake that, yeah, by the time you meet Red 13, you're almost fucking done. And I still believe that was a good call, because while the game is extended and you spend a few more hours in that part of the game, while when once you meet Red 13, it still wouldn't make sense for like those last couple of hours to make a fully playable character with a full moveset that you're only going to get to use for three hours. Um, it didn't make sense. So we also found out information that he was gonna get his own little section of things during this part to kind of flush him out a bit while you are introduced to him but he's still not going to be playable, which made sense, because now I'm thinking, okay, once part two starts, we'll probably have a playable Red 13. We got four characters playable, Cloud, Barrett, Tifa, Aerith, so we'll probably get the other four or five in part two. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't know yet. Um, but, you know, there's controversy over that. Things kept going and going and going. People had their own opinions about the demo, if they played it or not, seeing footage or not, but no one had played it yet, so we were all super hyped. For March 3rd to see what was going to happen because this could either be something amazing or a beautiful fucking train wreck and people wanted to see if they were right about hating on this game they wanted that confirmation bias and wanted it to fail some people were fanboying and were going to say they loved the game regardless if it was good or bad some people were ready to criticize it and give it a fair take some people just wanted the fucking game I just wanted to play the game I didn't care about all that stuff, whether it was good or bad, I wanted to see what would happen. If it's good, I'm gonna say it's good, if it's bad, I'm gonna say it's bad. So we waited for March 3rd. Then when we were getting close to March 3rd, the game got delayed. So everyone was like, oh my god, please don't start a chain of delays. But we did end up getting a demo in March to play. We got to play the bombing mission, essentially. And it was fun, it was a good time. And though this is definitely, it was definitely an older build as compared to the final game, I was super excited, but I wanted to get my hands on the real game to get a full impression because maybe this game starts off explosively strong with this boss battle, but then 
kind of like sputters off and everything's not as intense or as cool as the scorpion tank for some reason who knows what they decided to do so we waited for april 10th the pandemic happened people got worried i talked about the whole physical release copy situation due to the coronavirus thing so i'm not gonna go into it here shit drop my phone <laughs> so, but the game did indeed come out uh april 10th uh if you had the digital version like myself april 9th at 9 p.m so at april 9th 9 p.m 2020 I popped the remake in and I started my adventure, played it for six days straight, logged in about 55 hours. Still have some stuff to do even after I've finished the game. And so let's just get into review and talk about it. So we're going to break it down piece by piece and then for the last portion we're going to talk about the overall story and the ending. So real quick I want to talk about visuals, the audio, and the gameplay before we get into the story portions. So the first thing I want to talk about are the overall visuals, the graphics, uh, the effects of like certain things, and of course uh, kind of like an art style aspect of things. So just going over the graphics overall, this game is fucking gorgeous. This game is beautiful, it's as beautiful as they said it was going to be, it's as beautiful as we hoped and dreamed, in fact it's more beautiful than we hoped and dreamed. Everyone in this game, every main character slash kind of like side character, everyone with a name and a specific design is fucking stunning in this game. I just want to start by saying that, except for Palmer and Corneo. They are ugly, but they should look like that. And Heidegger and Hojo. But you get what I mean. For the most part, these people are pretty. I was like, why is everyone so fucking pretty? We knew Cloud was going to come out looking like a pretty boy. He always has. Uh, Barrett has the most piercing fucking eyes I've seen in a video game character. I do not understand how or why they did it, but when he takes his glasses off and looks at you, it's like he's piercing into, peering into your soul, and it's just like, why are you looking at me like that? Wedge is gorgeous. Shout out to my fat niggas. They made Wedge beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Biggs looks like a young Charlie Sheen. <laughs> uh, Jesse... Uh, is everyone's new best girl. Uh, she's in... There's reasons why. She she is stunning and she has a great personality. Uh, Tifa, we already knew. <laughs> Come on now. They There's no way they was gonna fuck that up. Aerith has this just charming quality to her. Even Rufus. When Rufus stepped off the helicopter in the fucking white peacoat and the slick back hair with a shotgun, I was like... Nigga, why are you beautiful? Why is everyone here so beautiful? <laughs> it was hurting my feelings. I was like, God damn. <laughs> because they look so real. And I think one of the good things about this game is that they managed to make the characters look real realistic to a point while still being able to keep that original art style from the original artwork and kind of like those unique qualities we saw in the original game. They managed to balance that really well in the character models and the designs and to make it look realistic as possible without losing what made those characters so unique to us before. So props to them for that. Uh, the CG cutscenes are fucking stunning and one thing I want to say is the graphics by themselves are already stunning with the CG cutscenes. That shit looks like real life. Sometimes I was like, this isn't real. This isn't fucking real. <laughs> And one thing that I find cool, like, uh, for example, you see this in the demo, but the final build really updates on it. 
is that uh, when you play that opening, watch that opening cutscene, and it shows the train pulling up, and you guys, you know, do that classic uh, Jesse, Biggs, and Wedge get off the train, they take out the guards, Baird walks out, turns around, he's like, get down here, Merc, and you flip down, and it's Cloud, and he has his buster sword, he puts his sword, sheaves his sword on his back, the camera goes over the shoulder, like, like swivels around to over the shoulder to that third-person action view for the gameplay, and you're just playing. And the transition from cutscene to gameplay are the smoothest I've seen in a game in a very long time, if not ever. And like I said, I've said this before, games have done shit like this, you know, before all the time. We've seen transitions from cutscene to gameplay like that. But the way this game does it is so smooth, you don't even realize you just got out of the cutscene sometimes. And the CG graphics are better looking than the actual gameplay, but the actual gameplay still looks so good, sometimes you don't even notice that change. And that's why those transitions are so smooth. It's not a jolting, daunting, like, ooh, those graphics went down. It looks so good all throughout, so fresh and smooth so fresh and so clean clean <laughs> the one thing i will say about the graphics is that some of the textures on doors or other things kind of look a little off uh here and there but it's not a big deal unless you really notice and that a lot of the npc kind of like the non-specific characters just like the random people walking up and down the roads in the slums or in the city their models are definitely not as detailed as specific modeled characters like the main cast and the side characters and stuff like that like uh Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse look great random dude in the Sector 7 slums definitely definitely doesn't look as good and it's noticeable but since you're not usually talking to people like that you're not gonna focus on that as much you're mainly talking to your main cast of characters your side cast of characters so you're always seeing those higher tier graphics 99% of the time so it it's just something I noticed but it's something I have to point out along with the texture issues uh, here and there but maybe they'll patch the texture stuff maybe the models will look a little better in the future who knows looks good definitely is pushing your PS4 to the limit so uh, thank your PS4 if it doesn't break down on you I was so glad my little engine could do it and play through that whole game for six days straight Um, the effects look great Sometimes when you play a game, the graphics look good, but stuff like explosions or sparks and shit like that don't look as detailed. They kind of look like they don't fit along with the rest of the game. Everything looked like it fit together really well. You could tell they put a lot of love and dedication into making this game look good. To make the Midgard you imagine in your head look like how you wanted it to be in this game. So I gotta credit them for that. And one thing with the overall visual art style one thing i really liked about the old game the original game is the how they modeled the backgrounds and the models since they couldn't take up a lot of like space for the actual game when they were making it that game is already three discs they had you know the little 3d character models and aspects and things like that overlaid over kind of like these static 2d-ish like backdrops for whatever areas you were in and that overlaid aesthetic just looks really pleasing to the eye and that's why i think the classic game still stands the test of time because that shit looks pretty some of those backgrounds in the areas you're in look gorgeous still to this day and one thing i noticed i don't know if it was intentional or not is when you're at higher elevations and you can look down at the slums when you're high up on the plate 
or if you can see things really far in the distance at a high elevation, the stuff below, like the buildings and the landscapes, kind of look like those, those, those static backgrounds and those models from the older game. And I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, but it reminds me of that, and it kind of fits really well in the art style in the game, which links up with how they've upscaled the models, along with still keeping that quirky, unique nature that game that had. It still keeps the charm, so I think it just only adds that balance. So the graphics in this game, mwah, fantastic. Uh, audio, so we're going to talk about, you know, voice acting, music, the sound effects. I just want to go ahead real quick with the sound effects. They are perfect. They work really well with the game you don't want you know cartoony sound effects with like a serious game like this unless it's like a joke enemy or something like that and all the sound effects hit you can feel the impact of cloud like slicing past someone that that noise that that just unloading noise of barrett like shooting his gatling gun at something or like the like when he's charging up like a bigger energy base kind of shot you can hear the impact of Tifa, like, breaking somebody's face when she punches him and shit like that. The only thing I miss is, uh, Aerith, like, hitting somebody with her staff in the classic game and hitting that, hearing that PUNG kind of sound. That's not in this game, purely because her fighting style has changed to be more magic-based, so she kind of stands back and shoots little blasts of energy at people. But it makes sense for the game for the playstyles, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But sound effects, mm, on point, and they match real well with the music. For the most part, the music really does set the tone. There's only like a few points where like I'm like, mm, they shouldn't have played this song here. Uh, the battle music always is hitting. As soon as you get into a fight, like I said, those sound effects go so well with the music. It, it just adds to the experience. You really feel like you're actively in that fight. And one thing I really like is they kept the original soundtrack and, you know, redid some tracks, updated them, re-recorded, of course, but they've also added new songs that go in the mix. So you have some of the old and some of the new in this new little mixture. And normally, sometimes that doesn't mesh really well, but the new tracks fit so well with the old ones, it's like it was just meant to be. One of my favorite songs to hear is uh, the music that plays when you're in the Sector 5 songs. It, I don't know, there's something about it that just feels right for that area. And of course, you know, you have the battle music. Like, that song, forever a classic. That battle music, they they updated it. It just works with the epicness, especially when you fucking do like Braver with Cloud and it just impacts the grim. Everything goes flying. Uh, and you can also collect little minis uh, record CDs. It's kind of like a little collectible side quest thing you can do and play them on a little jukebox. And these uh, little mini discs contain like remixes of old tracks, uh, some classic songs updated, things like that. So it's kind of a fun little thing you can do. Just overall the music, music was good. Uh, the weakest aspect of the audio was the voice acting, but the voice acting is not bad. I will say that. I listened to, you know, the dub track, of course. Uh, I've already talked about my opinions on dubs. I don't think every dub is great, but I don't think every dub is bad. This dub, for the most part, did a pretty solid job. I think all the voice actors fit... Oh, sorry, my my uh, coffee pot is turning off, so that's the beep. <laughs> but um, 
all the voice actors for the most part fit the characters. There's only two that I was a little iffy about, and that's Sephiroth and another person. We'll get into that other person when we get to the spoiler parts near the end. We'll be getting into that in just a few minutes. But, um, Sephiroth's voice, I don't know. I feel like it isn't quite fitting. Maybe I just need to hear more of him because he doesn't have a lot of dialogue in the grand scheme of this game, which is a good thing. You don't want to use too much of Sephiroth too early. And we'll talk about a little bit more of that, why he's around in this first section. But I don't know. I feel like the older voice actor, maybe I just more preference to that voice actor. And then the other guy, I just feel like his voice does not fit the character. And we'll talk about that a little later. Um, for the main characters, uh, Cloud's voice actor, I feel like his new voice actor is the closest one that's almost sounding like his previous one. So they did a they did a good job here. I think I, I wrote their names down just so I can give them their credit. Let me see. So voice acting, voice acting, voice acting. So so cloud is voiced by a uh, cody christian and i like i said i feel like he's he's the closest to sounding like the original voice actor in my opinion i think he 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 nails the character really well barrett is voiced by john eric bentley and we'll talk about more about barrett's voice when i talk about his character a little more because a lot of people off the bat didn't like it that much as they found it a little stereotypical angry black guy voice and it kind of is but when you play through the game and get more sides of Barrett's character I feel like uh the voice actor uh Bentley he he does a really good job portraying Barrett's emotions through other things besides him just being mad and I think the way he uh, portrayed Barrett as a character with his voice work actually hit really well later game. Tifa is voiced by uh, Britt Baron, and while I feel she is definitely different from the original voice actress, she does a good job of making that character her own, and I really love her voice. And then my favorite voice actor of these four in terms of just like person is Brianna White. She voiced Aerith. Uh, she seems really cool in real life. She does streams. And the more I heard her voice throughout the game, the more I loved her as Aerith. I feel like she really got it down, like the character down really well. And there's, uh, it, it's over the internet. She was streaming the game, and I guess she hadn't heard her voice yet for the finished project, the finished product of the game. And so when she got to it, she uh, heard herself for the first time in the game, like the finished game. And she starts crying. She's like so emotional about it because you, you could tell she put a lot of dedication into voicing that character and doing a good job of bringing that character to life in this reimagining of the game. And she, she she had a lot of heart. She has the most heart out of all of them, I think. And uh, there's a few other familiar voices in here too. I won't go over them too deeply just because I feel like that could be a podcast in itself. There's just a lot of people who did some great work in this voice cast. Um... Jesse, Biggs, and Wedge, I like all their voice actors. I think they did really, really good. A lot of the side characters did really good. I didn't hate any of the voices. Just sometimes a few of the voices didn't quite fit the character, but maybe I just need to grow more accustomed to them over time. So we'll see what happens from there. Um, but all in all, it worked really well. If I had to nitpick a few things about the audio, I one thing I will say, like I said, Sometimes tracks didn't quite fit right 
with the scenes they were placed in. Uh, sound effects, I don't have any issues with them. Last thing I want to say, it's really small detail, but I like hearing dialogue, even in battle, if it's just random battle banter. And sometimes the music during the fight would overpower the dialogue that was going on during it. And I wanted to hear the dialogue, and I'm sure I can adjust the audio to fix it right, but I just wish it was kind of leveled initially. So the dialogue overpowered the music because it wasn't like they were talking constantly. So you just hear a little back and forth and the music keeps playing or maybe the music goes down a little bit so you can hear the talking. But that's just me. And I'm not talking about when they do their little catchphrases when they do an attack or use an item or something. I mean like actual dialogue scripted for that specific fight. So that's just a little nitpick, but that's whatever. Um, so finally, before we get into the story, I just want to talk about the gameplay. Um, the gameplay is great. This is my favorite aspect of the remake, and this is something that people were really shaky about, and the thing I was most worried about were the boss fights, just because a lot of action-based games like this tend to have boss fights that are really stupid easy, or just frustratingly hard because the boss is so broken and breaks the logic of the game, it's fucking annoying. And the boss fights in this game are some of the best boss fights I've ever had in any kind of game, period. I, I'm gonna say it right now, I did not hate a single boss fight in this game. I had fun during every boss battle. I enjoyed every boss battle. I had never been more excited in a game to get my ass kicked than this game right here. But real briefly, the combat is really simple and I feel like they kinda hit it right with this game. Whereas with Final Fantasy XV, a lot of people, myself included, believe it's a lot of flash, but not a lot of substance. It looks cool, but you're not really pressing much. And then things with Kingdom Hearts 3, it's kind of like oversimplified, yet really complex at the same time, making this weird and awkward kind of combination of attacks and gameplay sometimes. That is just my personal opinion. Do not attack me. That is how I, that's just how I feel. I feel like the combat in the remake here gets it really right, a balance of simplicity and like slowly complex layers over it. Every aspect of combat is very simple, so when you layer it together, it makes this nice little complex system that's just basic parts. So you press square to do your combos, or you hold square down to do a heavier attack. In Barrett's case, and I think maybe Aerith as well, you just hold down square to keep shooting because they're ranged characters, so you just hold down square for Barrett to keep shooting. Uh, circle does your dodge roll, R2 is to block, if you want to switch characters you do up or down, left or right on the d-pad, things of that nature. Cameras for is uh, the right stick, click the right stick for R3 to lock onto a target, and then you can move the stick to choose a separate target, things of that nature. It's really simple. The things that overlay that make combat more complex is that every character has a unique ability by pressing triangle. For instance, Cloud's unique ability is called Punisher Mode. In his regular mode, operator mode, he's more balanced for overall like attack and speed with his combat. In Punisher mode, he's a lot slower, but he's a lot more powerful. He deals a lot more damage. And he's already kind of in a counter stance, but whenever you're blocking and somebody hits you with melee, you instantly counterattack that person. So his uh, Punisher stance is perfect for like crowd control for melee enemies or just a melee fight in general where you can't really attack that person initially because they'll always counter you so you kind of have to counter them first get them off their guard 
and start comboing and hit them with powerful attacks. Barrett's is like an overcharged shot where he can shoot a powerful barrage of blasts from his uh, gun arm. But you cannot spam this move. It has to charge after every use. You can press triangle to forcefully charge it some more. So if you're trying to get it done real quick, you could do that again. So Barrett's gunfire, you know, maybe brings an enemy down, staggers them, and then you finish them off with the overcharge. Tifa's allows her to overlay these powerful combos depending on how much of a charge she has from this other ability she has, and we'll get into that real quick. And then Aerith's unique ability is a more powerful magic blast, but you can kind of use it in like a little rapid S fire or just like small burst for, you know, crowd controlling enemies or hitting multiple enemies. Or if you're fighting a bigger boss, you can hold it down, kind of charge it up more and fire a better blast. So you have options. So those are just the basics of combat. So when we get into abilities, this is what they've done with the ATB gauge. The ATB gauge uh, charges up as you take damage or deal damage in a fight and kind of just moves up really slowly during a fight in general, but being into the combat makes it fill up faster. Um, when you get ATB gauges, you can use ability spells or items. So you press cross or X, I'm calling it X, it's not fucking cross, Sony. <laughs> you can do these, uh, you can open up your command list. When you open up your command list, time kind of slows down, so you have time to choose what you want to do, figure out a strategy, and you can also choose these commands for your AI-controlled character. So you could switch over to, like, Barrett and be like, Barrett, go ahead and set up, fire, fire this shot to knock him over. Uh, Aerith, heal Barrett because he might need healing if he's out there in the open, and then I'll go in and finish him off with this attack. And you could set up these kind of plans and strategies to go along with your teammates through these commands. And these commands are what make things more uh, diverse in the game because your abilities are like special attacks. So Cloud's Braver, which was originally his level one limit break, is now one of his starter abilities. So it's just a powerful slash, or powerful kind of like sword flip slam down thing that causes, uh, you know, massive, a good chunk of damage and it costs one ATB gauge. You have shit like, for Barrett, like, uh, one of his initial abilities is called Steel Skin. It costs one ATB gauge, and it prevents him kind of from being, like, stunned or knocked over from enemy attack. So he can stand there and kind of tank damage, which is what he's built for. Heavy HP, uh, he has a good amount of defense, he has abilities that provoke enemies. So you want him kind of tanking damage and shooting back to fill up stagger gauges and shit like that. And then your other characters can set up other plans. Uh, back them up and heal them, things of that nature. So that's really unique how you can do that. Uh, spells pretty much work the same way they have as in uh, the original game. The, mater the materia system pretty much is unchanged for the most part, just slightly edited to fit the more action-based combat. And spells do cost MP and ATB gauges, but you know it is what it is. Uh, so the materia system still works. If you don't know about the materia system from the classic Final Fantasy game, real quick. Uh, there's orbs of magic are condensed kind of like Mako energy in the world and this is what forms materia. Materias uh, come in different types and they have different abilities when you equip them to your weapons and kind of like your armor and your gear. So the more materia slots a weapon has, the more materia you can equip. So say if I find a lightning materia, now I can use thunder and let's say I find a healing materia, now I can use cure, shit like that. So you want those things equipped. Some of them also increase your stats. Some of them also give you extra abilities like the steel ability, the assess ability, which is really cool, and 
also uh, they can amp your material like say if I have an elemental material along with my lightning material now my basic sword swings with cloud deal lightning damage so say if an enemy is weak to lightning and I have that stuff equipped even my basic attacks are going to deal a little extra damage and fill up that stagger gauge for that enemy so now I don't have to waste ATB on a specific spell or move or something like that to help weaken it. So it's all about your setups and it just adds to the characters who are already kind of diverse in their roles and you can make specific builds. Barret's kind of built as a tank so you can add onto that tank kind of finesse. Tifa is definitely your fastest character. You want her moving around the battlefield and have abilities that fill up an opponent's stagger gauge faster or fill up her ATB gauge faster so she could keep dealing rapid successions of moves in too quick for the enemy to stop. Cloud's kind of your overall balanced character. Do what you feel is best with them. And Aerith is your healer, your spellcaster. So you want her dealing damage in the back and healing and bringing, dealing out buffs to other people. It's all up to you, but you can do those kinds of things as well. So I'm glad they kept the materia system the same because it meshes really well into the combat that they already have. Then of course you have your limit breaks, they're still around, they're still the same as you deal damage and take damage. Your limit bar fills up and then you can do your limit break attacks. The only difference is limit meter does not stay at the level it was from the previous battle. So your limit gauge always restarts, because I'm pretty sure it, it, it stayed the same level regardless of a fight ending and continuing in the original game. It doesn't do that here, but it makes sense because it, it, it just fits the game a little better for its combat. So all that stuff being said, once you figure out all these basic layers and add them together, you have a really complex system of combat, but everything is very straightforward and to learn. You can also learn new abilities by equipping new weapons. Uh, equipping a new weapon for a new character gives them a new ability. They normally can only use that ability with that weapon equipped, but the more you use that ability, the more proficiency you gain. Once you max out your proficiency, you've learned that skill permanently, and then you can use any weapon you want and still have those abilities. Those are permanently linked to you. So that's something that's been done before in older games. Just another little thing that just adds to the layers of this as a whole. And that's what I like about the game. Everything is very simple to learn, and it's very easy to understand. But putting it all together and making your own strategies is where the game can kind of get a little more complex. Especially with the boss fights. In the boss fights, everything has... Every boss fight is an event. They have phases. They have three different phases. They have different weaponry and skills. Each one has a weakness to exploit. Each one has something they can do against you. Every boss fight is unique, but every boss fight is fair. All you gotta do is figure out the weakness, keep up your momentum against that boss, and you will be able to take them down. So when you lose, you don't feel cheated. You you feel like, okay, I just have to figure out exactly what this weakness I can exploit is, which is why assess material is so cool. You can learn information about an enemy and figure out their weaknesses, see their HP, maybe see what moves they might have, things of that nature. So you're always being able to find a strategy that best suits you to beating your enemy. And that's what makes them so epic. That and the fact that there are three phases for almost every boss fight. Every boss fight is, has phases. Every single one is an event. Every single one is super dope. My favorite one, like I said, is Rufus. Because that Rufus fight from the original game always personally stuck with me. So 
being able to fight Rufus on that rooftop, <laughs> Rufus on the rooftop, and uh, <laughs> he fires his shotgun to propel himself at you and he's zipping around trying to hit you. He sticks his dog on you to maul you. He essentially has a move that's a railgun. He was just an awesome fight and I'm glad, I, I'm, I'm happy with the way they handled it. It was really dope. Favorite fight in the game. So gameplay is fantastic. I think it's the best aspect of this game. So now, <laughs> now that we're at the end and we're getting to the core point of this review, I'm going to emphasize this. There are spoilers ahead. I'm going to be talking about the story, mainly the ending point and what people are talking about that's so controversial. You have been warned, if you don't want to be spoiled about this stuff, please stop watching this, or please stop watching, please stop listening to this review. Because this is it, this is the point of no return. Once I start talking about this plot, I'm talking about this plot. So. <laughs> In this game, the story is pretty much structurally the same. At its core, Final Fantasy VII Remake sticks to the original storyline throughout. There are additions, there are other things like side quests. Uh, the side quests do... The thing I appreciate about the side quests is you don't have to do them. You can skip over this stuff. And they're treated as like mercenary jobs to flush out Cloud uh idea of like oh i wanted to be a mercenary from like in the original game which is why he was helping avalanche to begin with and uh so doing these jobs is like you're helping the locals you're taking care of monsters so you're getting introduced to these uh characters that live in midgar mainly in the slums and stuff and getting to know people so that's how they flush out the world a lot and personally i didn't feel like it was padding and i didn't feel like it was daunting to do they were all they all had their charm they all had their little nice little uniqueness about them and meeting all these people was really fun like there's a landlady for tifa's apartment she's this sweet old lady who's down for the cause of what you're uh what you're doing but she knows tifa's struggling with the the choices she's making this and that there's this kid named chadley who has this uh job like it's like a little internship at shinra so, but he actually wants to bring Shinra down, so he helps you with like doing these little battle intel things, and in return for doing those, he'll make a new material you can purchase and use, and shit like that. And this is where you get uh, some special summoning materials from as well. So there's all these characters that kind of have these quirks about them that you get to know throughout Midgar, and it makes Midgar feel more alive. And they also fleshed out Big's Jesse and Wedge, especially Jesse. Chapter 4 of this game, because it's a chapter-based system, so when you get to, it's chapter, it's 18 chapters total. Chapter 4 of this game is completely new content. You uh, go off with Jesse, Biggs, and Wedge because she needs to get some materials to build the next bomb. So you go with her because you need to get uh, her dad's key cards. You learn more about Jesse as a character specifically, um, how she wanted to to act and do theater stuff but uh you know one thing led to another her dad got sick the night of a big performance and things like that her dad's kind of in this coma where his soul is stuck in between the living world and the life stream and things of that nature and you just get to break jesse down as this this deeper kind of character that you never saw before and she's charming she's flirtatious this and everyone loves her. Everyone's like, oh my god, Jessie, new best girl. Everyone loves her. Um, 
Biggs is more detailed of a character. He always wants to get the job done. He's always down to fight for the... They just kind of made Biggs more badass than he used to be. And I really appreciate that. And then Wedge is just this... They still make him the fat dude that likes to eat. But Wedge really wants to do good by you. He he wants to be friends with you. He wants to be helpful and down for the cause. He doesn't want to be a hindrance. And feels bad whenever he gets injured. Because he wants to help out. And he wants to do his part. Which he does. Which is really neat. And so it's nice to have these sections. Because... It just makes those characters feel real and adds more impact to them. And then, Wall Market is fucking fantastic. Wall Market is already one of my favorite parts of the original game in Midgar. So, seeing how they redid it in the remake was fucking awesome. Like, there's still the same stuff you could do. The squat minigame is intense in this remake. Never did I think I would have that much of a near heart attack playing a minigame. The minigames in this in the remake are so simple that that's what makes them so fun and intense. They didn't try to make them too deep. They're just minigames. You don't understand the feeling of beating Jules by one squat <laughs> to get that belt. The, ah, I did it! Just, just the hype of doing it is so good. It's such a good feeling. They have a battle coliseum in Wall Market, so you can, there is a story portion involving that. But after you do it, and that's where they added uh, the the monster house enemy instead of just being in the Sector 5 slums out there. It's like this boss battle in the game in this Coliseum. It's like a Coliseum champion that Corneo has. And it's fucking crazy. He is hard as shit to beat. Um, and it was a good time, so I like how they incorporated that. And you can visit the Coliseum again to do random arrays of battles get prizes, get rewards. This is where you get your second limit breaks for all your characters, by the way. Uh, and you can do harder difficulties and harder challenges later on, shit like that. So it's awesome that they added that layer to it. There's like this massage parlor with this lady, Madam M. She's really unique. You have Chocobo Sam, who runs like a little Chocobo station. The Honey Bee Inn. Oh my God. I love what they did with that shit because you still have to dress up like a girl to get into the mansion, but Aerith doesn't tell you that plan originally. You visit and there's this character that works there, really famous, and there's this sequence where there's a show being put on at the Honey Bee Inn. It's like this dance and musical number, and they throw Cloud on stage to dance with this dude because you have to prove your worth if you want to get that invitation to get inside so it's like a dance show mini game and you are not prepared for this shit there's a practice thing that happens before it they do not prepare you for what happens <laughs> in that dance that actual mini game that shit was intense but you get your dress you get to go into they still have all that stuff and all those aspects and just chapters get more fleshed out the mission to bomb sector 5's mako reactor is like three chapters long and you think it would feel like it was dragging on it does not every part of that feels so fucking epic and you're just like oh my god because you're just going and going and going and going so each chapter is really high paced and intense for that mission and it makes it feel more heavily like a mission. So I really appreciate all the ways they've expanded the storyline and added things to certain ch uh, chapters, certain portions that were shorter. The train graveyard in itself is one whole chapter. 
and it's fucking cool. I liked playing in the train. It was cool as hell. But um, let's get to the major changes, and that is the story's controversial, controversial ending. Oh, but one last thing I want to say. Barrett's character. I feel like they did a great job once you finish playing through the part. When the game starts off, he does kind of feel like this angry Mr. T stereotype, especially with his voice. But the way the voice actor uh, portrays the character in moments of like, when he gets back and he sees Marlene, you know, his daughter, and he's just so kind and loving to her, and he's like this big soft teddy bear of a dude, and and he like reads to her, and he's just like, yes, and he's he's this kind-hearted dude. He, he feels a lot more gung-ho in the mission to stop Shinra, he gives all these crazy speeches. He feels like a really strong and noble kind of leader-esque character for Avalanche instead of just like this angry black dude that always yells. And when you get to those moments where he's actually showing his feelings, I think the voice actor that portrayed him did a fantastic job. When the plate falls on uh, Sector 7, amazing the emotions like when clouds like marlene might still be alive and barrett's like are, are, are you sure and just like he executed that character very well he he portrayed barrett in a way that i feel was fitting of the character and that's personally for me because barrett is my favorite character in final fantasy 7. so at first i was a little iffy but once you break down that character and get into those deeper layers he did a fantastic job so bravo to uh john eric bentley uh, I think you did a fantastic job. If you disagree with me, I, f I feel like play through the whole game and look at Barrett's character. There were some lines that were really awkward, like when the plate is activated to fall and he screams out, What have you done? Like, it sounds really awkward, but I feel like some of the dialogue might have been a little weaker, or maybe he just didn't have enough character direction. But I feel like he channeled Barrett perfectly. It's how I pictured Barrett in my head like on the outside he's this tough angry black dude that's loud and does this and that but on the inside he has all these emotions and feelings and his reasoning for why he joined Avalanche and why he's doing what he's doing is really strong and it's a strong conviction to him the, and the way he speaks with other characters how his tone of voice goes down when he takes off his glasses and he does have those you know those piercing eyes it just fits the character you can see that that kind heart when you look Barrett in the eyes so I, I I like that so I just wanted to bring that up but let's talk about the ending <laughs> so the game pretty much goes straight forward the way it was there are numerous changes mainly being the constant uh, appearance of Sephiroth and the, at first I thought okay well maybe they're just more so emphasizing clouds uh, viewpoint of how he keeps seeing these visions of Sephiroth here and there and everywhere, and maybe they're just emphasizing the fact that it's fucking with his psyche. So, maybe they're just taking those points earlier in game and making them a bit more intense than they were in the original. That's how I always took it. Until you get to a point where you see Genova, just like, like in the original game, it's just big and more epic of a room, and... <laughs> Sephiroth is there, but this time it's not only Cloud that can see him, everyone can see him. Everyone's like, holy shit, who's... and it's like Sephiroth, and so you're like, okay, wait, so he's actually there, or is this one of these, like, clone bodies acting as Sephiroth, 
and his bot because his body should still be in the life stream like or, or crystallized up like like in the original game so it was weird and then like you actually fight a piece of Genova in chapter 17 and instead of finding president shinra dead in his office chair like in his main office he's still alive hanging off the side of the the roof outside and barrett wants to drop him but they save him then he pulls a gun out on barrett barrett and then sephiroth shows up and stabs shinra president shinra then and there and then he stabs barrett so you're just like what the fuck are they killing what <laughs> And then you fight, like, a piece of Genova, and it's just like, you're not supposed to fight this yet. <laughs> this didn't happen in Midgar. But then, we gotta talk about the uh, Watchers of Fate. The Watchers of Fate are those ghost things that you've been seeing floating around in the trailer. And if you played the game, you already know what the Watchers of Fate are. Pretty much what these things are, you find out later in-game. They're pretty much kind of like these guardians of the planet, kind of like these guides that make sure everything that's supposed to happen within the timeline of the planet happens. They make sure that the, the timeline isn't deterred or changed in any way. So whenever you see them, you start to, you, when you think about that, you kind of start to notice every time they were interfering, it was when something in the main plot from the original game is going to change. Originally, or in the, in this remake, Barrett wasn't going to have Tifa or Cloud go on the mission for Sector 5 because Tifa was having second thoughts and they didn't want to play Cloud anymore, so they weren't going to go. That's when those spirits show up, and during, during Chapter 4, Wedge gets injured, so now Cloud has to go, and then at the start of Chapter 5, they're attacked by the spirits and Jesse gets injured, so now Tifa has to go. So it kind of forced them to go on this mission to keep the timeline going the right way. In the church, when you first meet Aerith, you, in the original, you don't fight Reno, but in the remake, you do. And when Cloud is about to finish him off, the Watchers come out and carry Cloud and Aerith out of that room into the back where the next sequence of the game is supposed to take place. You're not supposed to kill Reno. Like, stuff like that. They make sure everything goes the way it's supposed to be. It's like... If anything's going against what happened in the original too deeply, like major points that are changing too deeply, they stop it from happening because the timeline has to keep going the way it's going. So when we get to the last chapter, after you do the whole motorcycle chase against the motorball on the, the, the highway street when you're escaping Midgar, normally this is when the Midgar section would end. You would leave Midgar and keep going. And that's when the journey around the world map to find Sephiroth would be. The th difference about this is, after that portion, you see Sephiroth again. And he opens up this big giant portal as he cuts through the watchers and he goats Cloud into going. Try to goats Cloud into going in. So now you're just like, what the fuck is happening? And then Aerith opens up a doorway with the, the watchers on her own, talking about if they go in here, they might change fate, but this could change the fate of her, their future, and even change who they are as people. So you're just like, what the fuck is happening? So you, you go inside, and you're transported into this weird, crazy, like, twister, and Midgar is wrecked, and everything's flying in the air, and there's debris everywhere, and the Watchers kind of form into this giant boss Watcher that looks like the first boss to a Kingdom Hearts game. And I shit you not, you have to fight this thing. <laughs> so 
as you're running over to fight it, it like these other watchers kind of cluster together and form into a sort of a spirit. Or these three like spirits, like these three kind of watcher sub-bosses. But if you look at them closely, one of them uses a sword, one of them uses a gun, and one of them just fights with their fists. These seem to be representations of Cloud Fairy and Tifa, maybe from a different timeline. Because if you analyze them, it says they come from a future timeline. And they're here to make sure things go the way they go. So you're pretty much fighting the Watchers, and you're pretty much fighting against fate. So after you defeat them, you end up in the end having a final boss battle against Sephiroth. Yes, correct. You are fighting fucking Sephiroth in the Midgar portion of the remake, which never happens. You don't even see Sephiroth in the Midgar portion of the game in the original. Never. You don't even get a flashback of him, I believe, until after you first leave Midgar. So it's this is different. This is very fucking different for those of you who haven't played the original. None of this ever happened. So after that, you fight against Sephiroth. And I'm not going to lie, these boss fights are epic. The final boss fight against Sephiroth is amazing. But it's so weird and out there. So then you beat Sephiroth, right? But you didn't beat, beat him. You just kind of beat him in that boss fight. And then you shut everything down. The Watchers are trying to stop Cloud from landing a finishing blow. But, you know, the team stops the Watchers from getting in his way as he does that. And then Cloud and Sephiroth are transported to this weird looking space kind of area and Sephiroth refers to refers to it as the edge of creation and this scene is very reminiscent of the actual final clash you see in the original game of Final Fantasy 7 where Cloud's like floating down from the air and you see Sephiroth below him and they have that final one-on-one -on -one duel where the camera flashes back and forth between them they reference that fight from the original game and it, you see a cutscene of Cloud fighting Sephiroth and Sephiroth just beats him. Cloud's not ready, and he does this cryptic, Sephiroth gives these cryptic words like he has been throughout the whole game, just like, oh, I need you, Cloud, blah, 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 this and that, blah, 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 blah. I need you to change everything, I will not end, and you won't end, and this and that. So, Sephiroth leaves, <laughs> and then eventually you leave, and then the game shows, like, the Watchers kind of dissolving away and turning into like this sparkly lights of dust. So essentially you've changed fate. Like you and the team have changed the course of the game because you've also been getting visions of like flashes of moments from the original. Like you see kind of brief flashes of shots that is clearly the scene where Eric dies in the original game. You see a shot of Red 13 running, but it's reminiscent of the end credit scene of the original game where you see Red 13 running with his cubs and you see like Midgar, but it's kind of like a ruined city now and the world's different, so it's deep into the future. You see visions of that throughout the boss fight when you're trying to defeat the Watchers and change fate. So it's like, what the fuck is going on? Also, they show flashes of Zack. <laughs> that is correct. This is the voice, and this is the other voice actor I feel didn't fit the, the character well. They show the scene of Zack's last stand from Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core where he fights the hundred soldiers and then, you know, dies afterwards. And which forms uh, Cloud's character complex where he takes on that persona of Zack and leads to the event starting Final Fantasy VII. So they show that scene before you go in to fight the Watchers of Fate. 
And then after you beat that, you and as Zack's fighting, you can see the Watchers all around them. But it seems like only certain people can see the Watchers of Fate. Like our Aerith only could, but then when Aerith touched Cloud, Cloud could see them, and then later Barrett and and uh, Tifa could, and then Red Thirteen could. So everyone linked together eventually could see them. And Rufus also could, but I think that's because he fought with Cloud, so he was able to view that as well. And so. It's, it's really weird how it works, but I'm going to get into what, what this ending could lead to. But after you beat the so you beat the Watchers, and then it goes back to Zack. Zack has beaten all the soldiers, they're all on the ground, he's beaten and bruised, it's supposed to be his final stand. There's a loud boom behind him, and he looks off at Midgar. The Watchers were surrounding Midgar the whole time before that fight, in that, that flashback timeline world, wherever Zack was. But he could not see them. So he doesn't know what that boom was after, which was the Watchers dissolving away into that golden light. And then it shows, you know, people in the Sector 7 slum starting to rebuild. It shows... Marlene, you know, watering plants because she's with uh, Eris' mom back in Midgard, like Elmira, she's with her. Uh, Biggs lived. They show Biggs at this little orphanage in the Sector 5 slums living. And it hints that Jesse might have also lived because people feel like they could see her glove on the table next to where Biggs was laying. So maybe she did, maybe she didn't. We don't have confirmation. Wedge survived, and you find that out in Chapter 13 of the game. And he helps out a bit, but it looks like he might have met his end trying to fight against the Watchers during chapter, I believe it was 17? 17 or 18 it happens in at some point there. And, no, it's 17. It's chapter 17. It's near the end. When when Barrett, Aerith, and uh, Red 13 are fighting that boss in the elevator, they change the scene around, you still end up fighting that boss, but you fight it on a, a more ground floor level of the Shinra building, but Wedge sees them like falling down past and seeing what's going on, he tries to go help and stop it, and then the Watchers don't let him. And so his fate's kind of unseen, but a lot of people think he died. So you have shit like that happen. But at the end of the game, you know, when Marlene looks back, she's watering a plant, Elmira calls her, she looks back at the plant like somebody was calling to her. Uh, and then it cutscenes over to Barrett's hand, reaching out like, you know, Marlene, I'll be back. And it shows the our cast looking off at Midgar, far off, because now they're leaving Midgar. So the story seems like they're exiting Midgar to go stop Sephiroth, just kind of like how things in the original game were when they were leaving, except the goal is more already exact to stopping Sephiroth, whereas before, it wasn't exactly that quite yet, but they were on their way to figure out what Sephiroth is doing. So as they're leaving, it flashes back to Zack's timeline where he, like I said, he, he won the battle. There's that big boom in the golden light. And the game kind of makes it allude to maybe fate changed so much that the Watchers didn't interfere and Zack lived. I personally don't know if he did or not. A lot of people take this as Zack surviving. And I don't know. Maybe he'll still die because they, because also at the end of the game, you kind of see like a timeline convergence kind of thing if you want to say that it's really weird uh the team's leaving and as they turn it starts raining and then cloud and air for walking and then it shows zach you know carrying cloud back from that past because you know in crisis core uh cloud lives but he's unconscious through that whole thing before zach dies and they're like walking towards that cliff 
that's looking over Midgar as Cloud, Aerith, and the rest of the, the team are leaving towards the opposite direction. And it shows them kind of walking past each other, but it's not like they see each other. It's like different times, time periods. But it's like this weird scene of like feeling like, okay, you know, it, it was strange, but people take this as Zack surviving. I don't personally yet. I could easily still see Zack dying because I feel like Zack living is going to change too much because the whole point portion of the story where Zack dies and Cloud kind of goes through a mental breakdown and takes on Zack's persona wouldn't exist if Zack lived. So what's going to happen with Cloud's character? Is this what Aerith was referencing in terms of a... Uh, if we do this now, we will be changing ourselves. Like, you know, maybe that's something it referenced. But that scene happens when you see them walk back and forth and then back from each other in those two different separate timeline kind of things. And then Aerith looks up at the sky and she says, oh, I missed the steel sky. And as it reaches up at the clouds, it says, the unknown story will continue. Roll credits. And that's how the game ends. So, this shit is weird. And a lot of people have very mixed feelings about how it went down. So um, let's talk about some theories that are going around that people have about this ending and how it can be interpreted for the future of the series. So um, a lot of people hate this ending. A lot of people hate these changes. A lot of people thought this was completely unnecessary. This whole fate thing and timelines and all this they're adding too much convolution to the final fantasy world final fantasy 7 world and they they hate it they want namura fired for what he's done this and that personally i think y'all need to calm down stop telling stop saying people should be fired because you didn't like that you just don't like the, if you don't like the ending if you don't like the game that is perfectly fine i agree with that but also, some people that didn't like this, and then people say, well, well, you know what, I thought it was okay, or I liked it. They get, like, attacked, and vice versa, people that don't like it get attacked. Can we all just express our opinions without fucking arguing? It's a weird addition to the story, I will say that. I'm okay with it, purely because I was already going into this game feeling like it was going to be... A reimagining of a lot of things and things are going to be changed around things are going to be added and stuff like that i already kind of expected stuff to happen along these lines i didn't expect what happened with the whole watchers of fate deal to happen that was some wild shit but <laughs> i was expecting stuff to be different so it didn't impact me too negatively but at the same time I didn't really love that portion, like the boss fight against Sephiroth and all that other stuff was cool, but I feel like the way they executed this idea with them changing fate essentially, changing their fate, is really, it was really weird. I feel like they could have executed this idea better if they were going to go ahead and do it, and I feel like they could have done this in a better way than they did. Because yeah, the Watchers have been there throughout the whole game, but I feel like the build-up into like that giant boss fight against like these watchers of fate was really just sud. It was like what what the fuck? Like it just kinda came out of nowhere. And there kinda wasn't enough build-up between like what the watchers we perceived were and that boss fight against the giant heartless looking fusion of watchers. Um 
So, regardless of how you feel about the ending, it is what it is. And pretty much this kind of makes it more up in the air for the future of the remake project. Because now, since they've defeated the Watchers and are now changing fate, clearly, things could be very different compared to the original game from what's going to happen now. Because now, fate has changed. Do I personally think the Watchers are gone for good? I don't feel like they are. I feel like they've just defeated them now. For now. I don't think the Watchers are gone permanently. And the reason I think that is because if they come from the livestream and they represent like, you know, the planet and moving fate in the way it's supposed to move, I don't think they could be killed. And if they know all these timelines that are from all these timelines linking together and all these different futures, I feel like they're kind of like infinite or an eternal thing within the life stream as long as the life stream is around. So I don't see them like vanishing. I feel like we beat them now and change the course of fate for this moment, but they might try to come again and force us back on the original path. And so there's still a lot of stuff to cover, like why is Sephiroth already really here, what he shouldn't be, because literally he shouldn't be. Like, the real Sephiroth should not be here yet. But the way the game was showing stuff off, that had to be him. Like, for real, for real, that had to be him. It couldn't have been, like, a piece of Genova that, like, shapeshifted into a form of Sephiroth and was representing him. It just was, like, all signs kind of point to it being him. And so, there's a couple of theories already going around. So regardless of if you don't like the game or if it's ending or if you like the game's ending or whatever, I'm just going to go over a few theories and then I'm going to briefly go over what I think could also be a possibility. And then we'll just round things up from there. So the main thing we see talked about online is that the Watchers of Fate are kind of like this meta representation of the fans or the idea that the remake should be an exact remake and go the exact course of the story it should go from the original. It should be exactly the same. That's what people perceive the Watchers to kind of represent in a meta state of mind, like outside of the story. And the characters fighting against fate and the Watchers of fate and all of this stuff is more of a representation of Nomura and the team working on the remake, making changes and doing alterations to the story for the remake. Now, I understand if people hate this, and dislike this because they're changing the main story of this classic beloved game it makes complete sense but for me you have to understand me personally i just i was expecting this stuff to happen this is a, definitely a reimagining of the story people are like they false advertise it it's not a room but they didn't really because in interviews they said they were going to reimagine a lot of parts and do a lot of additions they made it clear that a lot of stuff was going to change but they also made it clear to us that they were going to keep the core bits of the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is why I put in the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is why I personally think that in terms of the core plot, we're still going to get certain major moments. And I'll go into that when I bring my own kind of like idea of what might happen for the future of these games later. But anywho, so that's the idea of that. So when the main cast defeats the Watchers and changes fate, Essentially, that is the representation of like from here on out in the project, all bets are off, anything can happen, and the plot could be completely different. That's what people think might happen. And it's very likely that it could. That's a strong 
idea that's a strong theory and there's a lot of proof backing it mainly the idea that Zack is alive I still don't think Zack is alive and if he is alive I don't think he's alive in the current timeline the remake timeline I think maybe another timeline opened up and I kind of don't like that either because changing fate and time travel and stuff it could work for the remake project but at the same time you don't want to do too much with that concept I feel like very few stories can handle time travel really well. I think the games that do it best are Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger did time travel the best out of any storyline I've ever seen, hands down. And um, Dragon Quest XI, for the third act of the game, like the end game, third act for the true ending, they handled how the time travel kind of thing worked in that game really well. And when I do like a better review of that, I'll go over why I feel that way. But they could do it, they just have to be careful. Because I don't think it's too convoluted yet. It's very straightforward to understand what the Watchers represented, what they were trying to do, and fate being changed. I think that's straightforward enough. It just didn't feel like Final Fantasy VII, which is what a lot of people have a problem with. And that's the thing I believe could have been better. They could have executed this idea of changing fate to show that this game is a reimagining in an alteration of the main story a lot better than having that kind of Kingdom Hearts S scene, but you know how Nomura is with his uh, fate plot lines kind of stuff. But uh, I'm welcome to the idea, I just hope it's handled well. And if you're not, that's fine. I understand wanting the classic storyline, but that leads me to, well, what about Sephiroth? A lot of people think this Sephiroth is not the Sephiroth from the remake timeline. He's from the original timeline. They think through the live stream, Sephiroth survived, kind of essentially went back in time, and now is trying to change like the history of what happened, change fate, and trying to slowly force Cloud and the team to change fate so that his defeat maybe could be undone. That's why at the end of the game, when Cloud, uh, when Sephiroth asks Cloud to join up with him and holds his hand out, it's because Sephiroth needs him to do things differently in order for Sephiroth to succeed, which is why the Watchers kept trying to interfere with him and why Sephiroth would interfere at the Watchers. He didn't want the Watchers getting in the way and making sure things went the way they were supposed to. That's what people theorize, and it would make sense because it, because like I said, it the, the real Sephiroth shouldn't be here yet. He should still be crystallized up at the Northern Crater, kind of, in a way. Like, his real body. Like, and for all we know, maybe it still is a fake body. And a represent, like, a piece of Genova, or like, you know, those dudes with the number tattoos for the reunion. But we don't know that yet. But all bets are kind of leaning towards that being the actual Sephiroth, and now they have to stop him. Because they didn't kill that. They didn't kill that thing. If it was a piece of Genova, I feel like that boss battle would have ended in its death, but then they would have known it was a piece of Genova and that Sephiroth's still out there somewhere. But instead, he gets away from Cloud in the end. So I'm just like, well, that had to be the real him because they didn't beat him. What would be the point of not beating that piece of Genova? Especially when they beat a piece of Genova in Chapter 17. So <laughs> that's how I feel about it. So that's what that's the main theory that I see going around with the Watchers of Fate being that representation of 
trying to make sure the story goes how it originally went. Uh, the characters fighting against fate being a representation of Namora and the team changing the storyline around. Sephiroth coming from a different timeline via the live stream of the planet. And which is why he knows about the Watchers and this and that. Then it's like, well, why would why does Aerith know about the Watchers? She didn't in the original. Well, a lot of people also theorize, well, maybe this Aerith's not from this timeline either. And I'm like, eh. I'm gonna I'm gonna doubt that one because the backstory for Eris' character of how she ended up with Elmira as a child plays out exactly the same as the original. There's like no difference between how Elmira found Aerith and their mom in the remake than in the original. If she found Aerith in the remake differently as compared to the original game, I'd be more inclined to believe that maybe this Aerith was from a different part of uh, a different timeline kind of like how with the idea of Sephiroth that one's more viable than believing Aerith is I feel like this Aerith is the Aerith that's intended to be here they just change plot around so the watchers exist in a more prominent role in the main story as opposed to the remake or maybe the watchers became more prominent because Sephiroth interfered and joined up with this timeline so maybe that's why they're seeing him now because they're like okay maybe let's say for example normally time just goes the way it's supposed to go all the way all the time and the watchers don't really have to interfere as much but since sephiroth is interfering with this world by going back and trying to undo shit the watchers are taking a more prominent place in the storyline because they're trying to make sure things go the way they're supposed to go because in the final fantasy 7 game it ends with sephiroth's defeat but what people are thinking the remake is going for is kind of like it being like a remake reimagining sequel-esque kind of thing to Advent Children. Whereas when Cloud beats Sephiroth again in Advent Children, Cloud, Sephiroth's like, I will never be a memory. Meaning that he's, no matter what they do, he'll always find a way to come back. No matter how many times they defeat him. So maybe the remake project is going to lead to Sephiroth, you know, trying to undo his initial defeat. And then, due to the main cast changing fate, it's going to lead to Sephiroth being defeated permanently to a point where maybe he's completely destroyed and can't come back. Which is something I believe could happen. Like, fates change, so they still beat Sephiroth, but this time, Sephiroth will be gone for good. Like, there's no way he can come back. But, to, in order for that to happen fate needed to be changed from what originally happened which means things might go down differently so those are the ideas my big theory or idea that i think is going to happen is kind of it made me think back to uh jojo's part five so spoilers for jojo's part five if you haven't watched that <laughs> um but uh at the end we find out about a situation that happened shortly before Bucci bucciati and the crew met giorno at the start of the the storyline and it was another job involving a stand user with a stand called Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone was a remote stand. It could not really be controlled. But when someone was fated to die, it'd be carved into the stone pretty much. And if the stone touched you, you would be content with your death essentially. And you would eventually kill yourself. But it'd be a more kind of, I guess, comforting way of dying than what would actually be your fated death. So Rolling Stone is trying to make sure it's not too horrific of it. I, I'm not explaining it too strongly, but that's pretty much what it is. Rolling Stone detects people near it that are like 
fated for death. And if the stone touches you, you become content with that idea. So during this whole like little mission or job thing that happens, the stone cars in Bucciati. So Bucciati is doomed to die. So it starts trying to chase down Bucciati and touch Bucciati. So Mista is constantly trying to stop it, but the stand users even just like, yo, you can't stop it. If someone's fated to die, they're fated to die. They're going to die. So Mr. at first it looks like Mr. essentially beats the stone by like grabbing it and when he falls from a building with it, the stone like shatters in the dust and Mr. lives, he lands on the car roof, da 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 da. They they kinda the job scene's done and they kinda leave. But as they're walking away from like the dust of that stone, it carves in not only Bucciani now, but two other characters in the crew, Abakia and Narancha. So now all three of these people are fated to die because Mr. Fuck, Mista fucked with fate. But because of this happening, the events of part five kind of end up taking place, which leads to the ultimate defeat of Diavolo. So things were still fated to happen. Bucciardi was going to die no matter what. But because of what happened with this, fate was shifted into a point where they were given the opportunity and succeeded in stopping Diablo and, you know, his evil deeds. But there was a cost in changing that fate, which was Abakio and Narancha's deaths. So, what I feel like this could be a similar idea going on in the remake. Maybe certain plot points are just destined to happen. You can't change certain aspects of fate. Like, I still fully believe Aerith is going to die in the remake. I don't think... They would change. It's too major of a plot point to change. Because when I look back at part one of the remake, it's not like they drastically changed major story elements. They just added on this major point of like Sephiroth already being here and the Watchers of Fate trying to make sure the timeline goes the way it goes. But other than that, when you think back to the everything that happened in Midgar, it kind of just happened the same way it was supposed to happen. Certain things are just fated to happen. The plate fell. They didn't stop the plate from falling this time. And the Watchers interrupted to make sure, you know, it still happened. But I think the Watchers are eternal. Like, you can't completely kill them. So even though they're going to be fighting against fate and certain aspects of fate might get changed, like how they will going into part two, I think certain major events that unfolded in the original game are just destined to happen no matter what. I think Aerith has to die. I think it's just a thing that needs to occur. But maybe some other crazy dark shit is going to happen to our cast. Maybe other cast members will die this time. Maybe more people will suffer. Maybe more shit like this and that will happen. Who knows? But what I feel like will happen is we'll still visit the same locations, the same parts of the world map, and do certain events but they'll be going down differently. Like Costa de Sol, or whatever it's called in the original, you know what I mean, like the little port city that you land in on the boat and all that. Maybe events in Costa de Sol go completely different than they did in the original. The scene where they're on the, they snuck on the boat to get there, maybe that will go completely different. You know how it ends with them fighting a piece of Genova and that's the first time they fight a piece of Genova? Maybe it doesn't happen this time around. Maybe something completely different happens. Maybe Aerith still dies, but she just dies at a different point in the game. Whether it be earlier or later. 
who knows? But I feel like certain things will still have to happen for the story to end properly. And for the story to still work as a whole and retain what made Final Fantasy VII Final Fantasy VII. Like, if Aerith lives, it's nice because people, you know, they didn't want her to die and you want to save her. But it's something that's so necessary and so important and impactful to the main plot. I feel like changing it would, like, ruin a lot of things and it would piss people off. You know, people would still be like, oh, cool, Aerith lived. But at the same time, it's just like, yo, you can't be fucking doing this, bro. You know, it, 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 has to, it has to happen. Certain character backstories still have to be shown. Like, Barrett's whole thing was kind of hinted at. With the whole thing with his hometown and his best friend. Uh, when Barrett looked down on his gun arm and was like, you know, Shinra's taking stuff from me. It was referencing that point that we're going to see, hopefully, in episode two. Um, but that's what, that's what I feel like it's going to be. They've changed fate. So maybe the overall ending of the game might lead to a more completed defeat of Sephiroth. He won't just be beaten, he'll be gone for good. But because of that, now they're in for kind of like a darker journey or path to achieve that goal. So maybe like, because people are seeing it like, oh, the remake is essentially saying the original game is like the dark timeline. I don't necessarily see that because that timeline does have a lot of loss, especially in the first disc with, you know, Biggs, Jesse Wedge, uh, Zack, and Aerith, but maybe that was the most positive outcome because only one party member died. One main party member died and only one in the original Final Fantasy VII. Let's say it's like that JoJo situation and maybe, yes, they destroy Sephiroth for good, there's no way he can ever come back. But not only does Aerith still die, but let's say two other characters die too. And it's just sudden and shocking. You know? That's the price you have to pay for changing fate. So maybe fate is going the way it was supposed to go, or trying to go the way it was supposed to go, because they're like, this is the best possible outcome we could have. You know, maybe this had the fewest casualties. For all we know, this path could lead to more tragedy and death than the original ever did. That's just my thoughts, though. I think they're going to follow a plotline that still continues with the core structure of the game, but just has a lot of events in between playing out differently. The point A to point B journey will be different, but the result, getting to point B, will always be the same. You know? It, it, you can't change it. Sephiroth will still be defeated. He can't change his defeat. You know what I mean? But a lot more twisted shit might unfold. He's trying to change fate to undo his defeat. Allegedly. This is this is people theorizing. I believe that could be a possibility too. And if that's the only time travel thing that kind of happens, Sephiroth just going back through the live stream to try to change fate and them fighting against fate and that's why events in the remake go differently, that'll be perfect. We don't need any other time travel besides that. We don't need to go different timelines different worlds we don't need to do any of that shit just make this an alternate world from the original game and that's it don't do anything further so let's say they do that and Sephiroth's trying to undo his defeat but he still ends up defeated because it's just always fated to happen he's always fated to lose it's just an even worse defeat now but maybe more destruction is left in his wake because Sephiroth is free now Sephiroth is out 
if we're correct, and this really is Sephiroth, he's out on these streets. <laughs> so he has the potential to do a lot more damage to the team and the world than he did in the original. Because now it's not like, okay, I need all these things to go smoothly so I can actually be freed and drop Meteor on the planet. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. And also the whole thing with Zack, I'm not sure. I still think Zack is going to die. And at the very least, I don't think that Zack is going to be within our remake timeline. Maybe now a new timeline happened where Zack lives and now he's the main character of that timeline. I don't really want that though. I feel like it's another thing that just should be fated to happen. Like Zack's death and Eric's death just need to happen to make the plot go. So maybe when episode two starts, it kind of leaves off on that cliffhanger of like, oh, we're almost back to Midgar. And then it shows Zack's death scene. And then maybe Cloud like wakes up from a nightmare or something because it's like a, a crazy distorted flashback. Because that's such a major aspect to Cloud's character. Having uh, Zack's death be so impactful to him and why his psyche changes to take on that persona of Zack throughout the game and then leading to his breakdown when he finds out, remembers what really happens and all that shit. Like, it, it works so well. So I feel like that's another main thing that can't be changed so that's my theory about it you don't have to believe me it's just how i feel it should be handled and maybe handled but only time will tell what happens with the remake so you know just to to wrap things up this is the longest podcast i've done it's almost two hours i don't know if i can upload two hours i think it only lets me upload it up to an hour and a half what'll happen is um let's just say if i can't upload the full thing all in one all in one episode I'll upload, you know, the first hour and a half, and then, like, this last 20-30 minutes, I'll upload alongside it, just as a separate thing, so you just have to listen to them back-to-back. -back. Gonna be weird, but it is what it is. Um, but, anywho, that that's about it. Those are my thoughts on the ending, what could be theorized to be possible from here on out with Part 2, but we don't know anything yet. It's... It's not a convoluted, I don't think it's too convoluted yet. It was just kind of like a weird way of doing this. They didn't have to add all that craziness at the end to have it be something that changes fate. Like the watchers are fine in my personal opinion. It just didn't need to get that intense, I feel. I feel like that was just unnecessary extra. They didn't feel Final Fantasy VII. Maybe if it was, maybe if that stuff happened later in the story, I'd be more inclined to be okay with it because that's when shit would start hitting the fan but i feel like it was too early to do something that big you know it was it was they didn't need all that extra at the end they could have ended it with the motorball fight and maybe some other stuff happens and fate is slowly being shifted instead of them just doing that battle and changing fate but i don't think the watchers are gone yet i i think they'll still play a role in trying to make sure major plot things happen they're just destined to happen but we'll see we'll see i'm looking forward to it and uh if you didn't like this game just know that this will never negate the impact or the legacy of the original like the original is always going to be regarded as one of the greatest games of all time and the remake can't really stain that reputation i've seen people say like this game spat in the face of all the classic Final Fantasy 7 fans. It didn't spit in your face because there are people out there that do like this game. And if you don't like the ending or what they did, that is perfectly fine because I'm really iffy about it too. 
but I am hopeful and curious to see what they plan to do, as are a lot of people. So you don't need to be disrespectful. I've heard people, again, I've heard people say like, you gotta be fucking stupid to like what they did with the rumor condition now. It's just like, okay, you don't need to insult other people's intelligence because you didn't like something that, the way something was handled. Be a big boy, express your own opinions in a manner like a grown ass man, <laughs> Because I've seen plenty of critiques and videos and criticisms going over the ending and, and what it could mean and how people felt about it. And a lot of people aren't really vibing to this ending, but it's fair because they gave fair criticism to it and were adults and didn't try to shit on people that did like it. They said, if you liked it, more power to you. I want you to like it. But I, I'm glad you can enjoy something like that. But these are just my personal thoughts and I'm not going to lie to myself, which is fair because I agree. I thought that last sequence was so unnecessary. If they wanted to do this whole fate-changing plot kind of thing for the remake, they didn't need to go that far. They just didn't. But, again, we do not know what's going to happen next. We don't. The way that part one ended, you cannot confirm anything yet. So, people can give theories and their thoughts. But don't believe someone that's like, this is 100% going to happen. Shut the fuck up. We all know it is. No, we don't know what's going to happen yet. You're going to have to wait and see. Which is exciting and scary at the same time for a lot of people I know. But regardless of all of that, the remake is a fantastic game. Especially looking at it from a gameplay standpoint. Um, fantastic music, fantastic visuals, fantastic gameplay and combat. And like I said fates being shifted around but that plot still kind of flowed for the midgar section the way it should have in terms of like major points you know shinra still died like he was supposed to <laughs> so and now his son's taking over and shit like that so we'll see what happens from here uh and i feel like whether you're a veteran fan or a newbie or just curious about rpgs or love rpgs i highly recommend this game i fully think even with this very polarizing and controversial ending, that the game is worth the $60 price tag. It is very fun. Uh, there is a sort of endgame kind of thing where after you beat the game, you can pretty much select to replay chapters, and a hard mode is now unlocked. So you can play on hard mode. Hard mode is fucking hard, I will tell you right now. In hard mode, you cannot use items... And the only way you can recover HP is from resting points or your spells. And the only way to recover MP is through the Mako shards when you break boxes. There's no other way. Benches do not recover MP. Uh, doing side quests does not re fully restore your HP or MP. Um, so this game is... So hard mode is hard. But the benefits of hard mode is you can unlock certain items that can... Give you more skill points to boost up your weaponry because the level cap in this game is 50 but you can uh you get stat points every time you uh level up so you can upgrade your weapon stats that way if you wanted to use the buster sword for example throughout the whole game you viably could use the buster sword and shit like that so if you want to fully up get every upgrade for every one of your weapons you would have to play hard mode and get these extra like uh point boosters for your characters because even when you get to level 50, you won't have enough. So <laughs> there's shit like that. And if you're in for a, a tougher challenge against these bosses, um, it's open to you. One thing I hope they do add, I would love like an update that added kind of like a boss rush mode. 
or like a boss select mode where instead of playing a full chapter, let's say you just wanted to replay one specific boss without having to do a bunch of stuff in the level again. Like, let's say, example, I want to do the Rufus fight again. Um, I can just select, go to a boss select, pick a boss, and it just puts me in that battlefield, and you can choose, you know, whatever one of your four party members you want to use for the boss fighter if you still want to do it one-on-one with Cloud, or maybe you want to do it one-on-one. I feel like that'd be a cool little thing to add, because, like I said, these boss fights are really fucking fun. So I'd be down for something like that. But um, the game, it does have a bit of replay value if you're trying to, you know get that platinum trophy and looking for that challenge and maxing out your characters. We don't know if data is going to carry over to the second episode. I feel like it might, if the level cap is level 50, they might let you carry your stuff over and then just increase the level cap for the next part. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, cause I could see like, let's say if they hypothetically did make it three parts, the level cap of part one is 50 and then in part two, maybe they equip, uh, raise it to 70 or 80 even. And then let's say for the last part of the game, your cap is level 99. So when stuff gets progressively harder and you're already maxed out, you just have to, you know, have your materia and your skills right and just get good scrub. <laughs> and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But um, it does have a bit of replay value to it if you feel like replaying certain chapters. Let's say you missed materia or certain weapon you wanted. You didn't get the second limit breaks yet. You can always go back and retry and get that stuff. Have more fun with the game. So, it might not hold you over for the full wait for episode 2, we don't know when it's coming out, but I think it's worth noting that they, they added a little bit of a replay value to the remake, so we weren't expecting that, so that's cool. So, if I had to rate it, I'm not, I don't think I'm personally great at rating games, but I feel like I can confidently give it a score that I feel like it deserves. I'm giving Final Fantasy VII Remake a 9.5 out of 10, I feel like... Besides that very weird ending stuff they decided to add in, the game is absolutely incredible. It is near as perfect as you could get, in my personal opinion, for a JRPG experience. And I feel like if the project keeps up with this momentum, and like I said, doesn't change too much of the core story elements, this uh, rebuild, this remake project will be one of the best RPGs of this current decade. So... I, I can fully confidently give it a 9.5 out of 10. It's a great game. So I've been talking long enough. It's been two hours worth of recording, but I haven't been sitting here getting this shit done for like three hours. I got to get ready to edit it uh, and then make something to eat. <laughs> but uh, that's going to be it for this, guys. So if, And also, if you don't feel like it's worth $60, I still feel like it's worth playing. So get in on a discount. Borrow it from a friend later. If it gets on PS Plus for free, why not give it a try? I don't care how you get it, as long as it's legal. <laughs> um, but I feel like everyone should really try this game, as long as you're a JRPG fan. I, I That's how I feel about it. I highly recommend it. But that's going to do it for me. I hope you enjoyed this kind of longish review, opinion, thoughts, analysis kind of video, or recording podcast episode of... Uh, of the podcast this is weird uh i i want to try to do more of these try to you know perfect it get it a little down better but i think this is cool i think this is fun uh next week we'll be back on our normal kind of setup and we'll be doing our UE double feature stuff so hope to catch you guys there thanks for sticking through for the full two hour review analysis (laughs) 
And uh, I hope you guys have a good Friday and a good weekend. And I'll catch you next week. Bye. And blue.